Today's scripture reading is out of the book of Jonah, chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on a sackcloth. When God saw what they had did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishment. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Tammy. Good morning. Hey, before we get started, I just want to draw your attention to one more thing that's in the bulletin. Um, There's a a little blurb in there about um, something we're doing in our college ministry. It's called Adopt a Student. And what we're doing is we're wanting to pair some individuals or families from our congregation with some of our undergrad or grad students for the purpose of um, encouraging those students as they go through school or through their jobs or whatever. We have, believe it or not, I have a list of 25 names of students that are undergrad and grad students. And right now I've got about five individuals or families who are committed to be a part of Adopt a Student. I need about 20 more. So I just wonder if that would be something that maybe you as a family would want to do. Maybe a Sunday school class would want to adopt a student together. Um, Thinking of things like encouraging notes. Um, We'll give you when their exam times are. So you can send them a little care package or, you know, just a little word of encouragement during that time. If that is something that you would be willing to be a part of, just sign up in the next possibilities uh, and we will pair you with someone. And I believe it'll just be another way that we at this church are practicing what we've been talking about, this Team 5-1, connecting our age groups, uh, making sure that we as adults are reaching back to the generations behind us and we're giving that encouraging word. We're making that connection. We're investing in their lives. So I just wanted you to be aware of that so that... um, Maybe you would want to respond in that way. Uh, Well, before we jump in this morning, why don't we pray one more time together and ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and, and we thank you for your presence here. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and you would teach us as we sit at your feet as we lay down distractions, as we, as we set aside um, all those things that are running through our mind, Father, help us to hear from you. Father, this word this morning may be one that, that hits us right between the eyes. It may challenge us. It's going to confront us in some ways that we hold on to bitterness. Father, I pray that you would help our hearts be receptive to your word, your healing work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, for the last two weeks, we've been in this series called In the Flow. And what we mean by in the flow is moving forward with God in the current of His love and will. Because God is moving in this world. He is moving forward to have His purposes accomplished, to have His will accomplished in this world. And when we step into that current with Him, it can be very exhilarating. Because what we find is that He doesn't act apart from us. He allows us to come into that current. And then He uses us to make an impact and be an influence on people in the world. It's very exhilarating. You know, he reveals to us the way he's wired us, the way he's gifted us to make a difference in the lives of other people. And uh, when we choose to step into that, it's just, it's just something that, you know, many times you just can't explain. Wow, that God would want me to be a part of what he's doing. Now, the thing about a current is, you know, it is moving forward. It is going somewhere with intentionality. So if you're in that current, you are moving forward with it. You know, you're going where it's going. But the other thing is, if you try to go against that current, or if you try to stand still in that current, what you're going to find very soon is that you're uncomfortable, you're completely exhausted, and just really flat out unsuccessful in what you're trying to do. Well, Our guy Jonah, he tried to do just this. He tried going exactly the opposite of the current of God's will, and he actually tried to just stay put. And he chose to remain unchanged in his heart, stubbornly just digging his heels into the ground, unwilling to let the current of God's love move him, change him, or transform him. And he ended up absolutely miserable absolutely miserable. So I'd like to invite you, if you've got your Bible with you or if you've got your smartphone with the Bible app on it, uh, to find Jonah. If you've got an actual Bible, it's in what we'd call an actual Bible. I mean, like, you know, a, a one with pages and, 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 and paper and stuff, you know. Uh, if you've got one of those things, one of those ancient manuscripts, uh, then it's sort of at the back, what we call the back of the Old Testament. It's, it's right in there with a lot of other books that um, have the name of other um, prophets there. It's only four chapters long. If you've never read the entire uh, book of Jonah from start to finish, it's an easy read. It's pretty quick. Maybe you'll want to do that. I think most of us are most familiar with Jonah as a childhood story. He's that guy that got swallowed up by a fish and, you know, spit back out on the dry land. But there's more to his story. There's a lot more going on with him, and that's what we're going to discover today. So if you want to look at Jonah, uh, follow along. We'll kind of be doing a good summary of the whole book. But first, let's talk about who he was. Jonah was from Israel. He actually was from a place... I don't even want to try to say it. I'll butcher it. But it was very near Nazareth, about three miles northeast of Nazareth. So he's from Israel, and he's a prophet. Now, a prophet is someone who would receive a word from God for the express purpose of delivering that word to people to make them aware of of something like sin. Make them aware of that so then they could turn from that and they could receive God's mercy. So Jonah was a prophet from Israel. And the book of Jonah begins with him receiving a message. And this is the message that he got from God. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. It's pretty cut and dry, pretty straightforward, kind of an easy message. You, Jonah, go to the city Nineveh, and you proclaim to them this message, because I have seen their wickedness. 
But Jonah didn't do that. He didn't go to Nineveh. He actually fled. And that is the word the scripture uses. He fled. In other words, he didn't just leave. He fled. He could not get away fast enough. And he wasn't just fleeing his assignment. We're told in the scripture there that he was actually trying to flee the very presence of God. So Jonah is going as fast as he can away from this mission and trying to get away from the presence of God. Now, just to give you a visual of what his fleeing looked like, I want you to take a look at this map. You can see, uh, see Israel there. You can see uh, the town that uh, Jonah's from. You can see where Nineveh is, about 550 miles away from there. It's still a long trip, okay? And, but what Jonah did was he didn't go to Nineveh. He went south to Joppa, which was the nearest port, and he got on a boat headed for Tarshish. Now look, 2,500 miles away from where he was. And the reason I wanted you to see this map is because it really shows us how how big his fleeing was. Instead of headed over where he was supposed to go, he basically tried to go to the other side of the world. Now, that, was, that was like the other side of the world for him. 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. He was being dramatically disobedient to what God had asked him to do. Now, why would Jonah do this? Why did he not want to go to to Nineveh? And why would he try to to go to what was basically the other side of the world for him? Well, here's the thing. Nineveh was a large, prominent city in Assyria. And Assyria was a nation who had over and over again, through the generations, and definitely during Jonah's time, had invaded, they had deported, they had laid siege to the people in the land of Israel. They were a violent people who had done terrible things. So that's one reason Jonah fled. He very much disliked the people in Assyria. So he'd wanted nothing to do with them. So Jonah gets on a boat, headed to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away, and pretty soon everything goes terribly wrong. A storm comes up. It threatens to just rip the boat apart. Jonah ends up thrown overboard. He's swallowed up by a fish. He prays to God in the belly of this fish. Three days and three nights he's in there, and then God causes the fish to spit him out onto dry land. Then, after all that, much to Jonah's chagrin, God speaks to him again, and this is where we get caught up with our scripture passage this morning. God says again to him, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So this time Jonah gets up, yeah he did, and he goes to Nineveh. He walks a day's journey into the heart of the city and he gives that message that God told him to give, which was 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now just so you know, 40 days, it wasn't necessarily specifically one, two, three, four, 40 days. It was a term that meant, look guys, coming up pretty soon, you know, this is going to happen in a short time. Just sort of a, a general idea, but, but still, basically, it's coming. You don't have much time. Forty days more, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And what happened next is absolutely, I mean, it's just nothing short of astonishing because the entire city believed God. The entire city, everybody, including the king, they put on sackcloth. They sat in ashes, and both of those things are symbols that you recognize your sin, you realize 
what you've done, and you're sorry for it. You're sorry for it. And they prayed, and they fasted, and they said, maybe God will relent. Maybe God will change his mind, and he won't bring this destruction on us. And when God saw what they did, he relented, and he had mercy on them. That sounds like good news. There's only one person in this story, though, who's completely miserable. Who is it? It's Jonah. He's just been really effective. God's called him to be a prophet who speaks his word for the purpose of people changing and transforming and admitting their sins so that God can change them. And he's done a really good job. I mean, like, it'd be like me preaching and every single one of you falling on your knees and you're just coming to Christ. for the. I mean, like, he was really good at what he did. And he's miserable. He's the only one who's miserable. He's been miserable from the moment God asked him to go. And, and right the next thing in our, in our text here shows us why he was so miserable. So if you've got it and you want to look, chapter 4, verse 2. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said? I mean, he's mad, y'all. Is not this what I said when I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, oh Lord, please take my life for me because it is better for me to die than to live. In other words, as soon as Jonah heard God saying, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to give them this message, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown because I've seen their wickedness. As soon as he heard that, now see, to us, at first glance, it sounds like why wouldn't someone like Jonah, who doesn't like the Assyrians, want to go give them a message that says, 40 days more and you're going to be overthrown. God has seen your wickedness. Why wouldn't he want to give that message? Because Jonah knew God was merciful, and God was gracious, and God was loving, and he was forgiving, and he desired to relent from punishing. And so Jonah knew if I go and give them this message, there's a chance they're going to repent and they'll receive mercy. And Jonah would rather have died than see those people that he hated receive mercy and forgiveness. So here's the question that God poses to Jonah after this temper tantrum that he throws. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry? And the implied response here is no. No, he was not right. It wasn't right that Jonah wanted God to love him and the people of Israel more than he loved the people of Assyria. Now, just because God loved the people of Assyria, it didn't change Israel's special status that they were God's chosen people. They were the nation that God had chosen to reveal himself to and through. Israel was the nation that was chosen to be the light to the world. It didn't change that status at all. But God loves everybody in the world, and he desires that nobody would perish. Jonah didn't like that, and he was wrong in that. It wasn't right that Jonah wanted God to show him mercy when he had been dramatically and drastically disobedient, yet he didn't want God to even give Assyria the chance 
to repent and turn and be forgiven. It wasn't right that Jonah would be angry with God for simply staying true to his character and showing mercy and forgiveness. Jonah wasn't right. And the thing was that he stubbornly refused to budge from his position so that God could do a transforming work in his heart. The same kind of transforming work that he had just done in the hearts of 120,000 plus Assyrian people. Jonah's stubbornness made him absolutely miserable. Absolutely miserable. His bitterness against the Assyrians had been there so long and it had embedded so deeply in him that he chose to hang on to that bitterness and be angry rather than to trust God to do what was right and to deal with them in accordance to his good character and his will and his great wisdom. Jonah was determined that he was going to stay right where he was in his bitterness instead of getting in that flow with God and being joyful about people's transformation and allowing his own heart to be changed. So we read the story about Jonah, not so that we can look at Jonah and go, that dude was really messed up. What was wrong with him? I mean, that is not why we want to read this. We, the author's intention for us to hear this story, to read this story, is for us to then go, do I at all look anything like Jonah? Do I share any of those kinds of sentiments? So the original audience would have been Israel, the people of Israel. They should have heard this story about one of their own prophets and thought, do we, do we as a nation feel like this? Do we, do we want God to especially love and forgive us and, 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 and you know, constantly be merciful to us in light of all our sins, but yet destroy um, every other nation around us? Do we want to harbor resentment and bitterness against all these other nations? You know, God had called Israel to be the light of the world, a light to other nations. They were not to sit and brew over the fact that other people were, were acting poorly or mistreating them or, or whatever. They were supposed to say, but the Lord is our God and our Lord is gracious and he is merciful and he is kind and he is loving and he will forgive. That is what they were supposed to do. And so Israel was supposed to ask themselves this question, man, are we like Jonah? Where do we need to change? And for us, a modern reader, we need to ask ourselves that question in light of what we know Jesus teaches us about forgiveness. You know, we should be rolling through our mind what Jesus says about loving your enemies and forgiving people. How are we like Jonah? You know, where do I share that kind of sentiment and that kind of emotion? Have I reacted in similar ways to people in my life who've hurt me, offended me, or caused me harm? Here's the thing about bitterness. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Hanging on to bitterness always produces lousy results. If any of you have ever hung on to bitterness for any amount of time, you know this statement is true. It always and only produces lousy results. The better way and the way that's going to bring balance to your life and free you from those who have hurt you is forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
is forgiveness. Now let's face it, that is easier said than done, isn't it? Okay, I'll forgive. I can say that real easy. It's hard for me to do it. It's much easier to justify being angry at the people who've hurt us. But look, clinging to bitterness is analogous to a situation where you drink poison and you're waiting for the other person to die. Intellectually, we know that's stupid, right? That's dumb. But that's what we do. When we hold on to bitterness, it's never good for you. And it rarely, if ever, impacts the person that you're harboring the resentment or bitterness against. Forgiveness is the better way. And the Apostle Paul states it beautifully. Ephesians 4, 31 through 5, 2. He says this, Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God. In other words, by doing this, we take on his character. We take on the character of God. We start imitating him. We start getting in the flow in the current of his love and his grace. And we start looking like him, formed in his image. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the better way. You know, one reason I think that that we struggle with forgiveness or we have a hard time with that is because we don't, we have some misconceptions about what forgiveness really is and what it really means. We don't want to be a doormat. We don't want to be a pushover, okay? Uh, Dr. Les Carter, he's a a well-known, nationally known psychotherapist. He's he's in Texas, and he he, um, has a helpful list about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. He says that contrary to popular belief, forgiveness does not mean denying the legitimate pain you have experienced. It does not mean agreeing to act like best friends with the person who has done you wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you won't or shouldn't feel legitimate anger. Forgiveness is not allowing others to continue to disrespect your needs and boundaries or condoning behavior that's clearly inappropriate. Forgiveness is not telling the wrongdoer that what happened in the past is irrelevant and that it's okay to pretend like nothing happened. And it's not ignoring the ill effects of past wrongs that continue to influence current events. He says, choosing to forgive does not mean that you've gone soft about the problems that have left deep wounds. It doesn't mean any of those things. But what forgiveness does mean, listen to this, is that you are willing to let go of harmful or ineffective anger, ineffective forms of anger, and are choosing to turn over the ultimate resolution of wrongdoings to God. Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust that you're going to do what is right according to your character. That you are going to act in a way that is just and wise and good and true and not just what I want. I'm releasing this. This is is for you to do. And where bitterness only produces lousy results, you see, there's a whole lot of positive stuff that comes with forgiveness. It frees you to focus on the priorities that are more important 
than anger and bitterness. It prompts you to let go of obsessions about the one who's wronged you. It compels you to stop making insulting and derogatory remarks about the one who's done you wrong. I like this one. It causes you to be forward-looking about the course your life is taking. You know, bitterness keeps us hung up in the past. All we think about is that past hurt. Forgiveness, we're forward-looking about the course our life is taking. It helps us put acceptance and tolerance first, and it reminds you that you cannot control another person's choices, only your own choices. Forgiveness truly is the, a choice that only you can make. The reality is you can choose bitterness, though. It's there. You can choose hate. You can choose anger. You can choose resentment. The option is there. No one can make you forgive. God won't make you forgive. Um, a friend of mine in Kentucky, um, her name is Shannon, uh, her son Colin was in my youth group. He's probably like 22 now. But when he was a kid, man, he was something else. You know those kids? You're like, he's something else. That was Colin. And uh, Shannon decided that Colin needed to be in the children's choir. Colin did not want to be in the children's choir. But Shannon was like, you're going to do it. And so she took him to children's choir practice all the time, and he would never sing. And finally came to the point where they were going to be performing in church. And she got him all dressed up in his little suit, his little blazer, and his little tie, and he looked really great, and he stood up there with all those other kids, and they all sang, except for Colin, who just stood there. Like that, the whole time. I mean, just stood there and didn't sing one note. And when she asked him after, Colin, why didn't you sing anything? He said, you can put me in the choir, but you can't make me sing. <laughs> like, seriously, that's profound. You can put me in that choir, but you can't make me sing. You know, God, this is Jonah talking. You can send me to Nineveh, but you can't make me forgive them. You can suck me up in a fish and spit me out on dry land, and I'll go, but you can't change my heart. See, we, we, Lord, you can tell me to forgive, but you can't make me forgive. No, he can't, and he won't. Because that's a choice that only you can make. You're the one that gets to choose. Forgiveness is something that God's not going to force on you, but he will encourage you towards it. And like Jonah, he'll allow you to become increasingly miserable if bitterness is the choice you make. Okay, final thought. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and he's got this message that it'd be overthrown in 40 days. And even though Nineveh didn't end up overthrown like Jonah wanted Nineveh overthrown, you know, there were things deep in their hearts like wickedness and violence that were overthrown. And unlike Jonah, they were willing to acknowledge where they had been wrong and what was going on them. And as a result, their hearts were changed and God showed them mercy. And this is the last point I want to make. Refusing to let God transform you will keep you from living the life God desires for you. God desires 
that we would move forward with him in the current of his love and his grace, that our hearts would love what he loves, that our hearts would break over the things that his heart breaks for, that we would let him cleanse us of the things that keep us from finding true joy, peace, and freedom like bitterness and anger. But he can't do that if we refuse him. I like to say God's a gentleman. He is a gentleman, and he is not going to force us to do anything. It truly is a cooperating effort that we make in our own transformation. So my prayer for each of us today, my prayer for each of us today is that we would be willing to hear Jonah's story. We would look at him, and we would ask ourselves, where am I like Jonah? Where am I holding on to bitterness? Is there somebody that I just, I need to let it go. I need to forgive. If you find that bitterness there, then I pray that you'll just, you know, take that posture of humility that recognizes, you know what, I need to be transformed here. I need, to God, I need God to overthrow these things in my heart and transform me. And, and I hope that your prayer would be one that sounds a lot like, change me, God. Change me. Do whatever you have to do in me. But don't stop working in me until I am holy and completely yours, Lord. Don't let me stand in your presence refusing to be moved by you. Don't let me do that. Move me. Get me in the current, Lord. Put my feet on that road that's going to lead me where you want me to be. That's my prayer for all of us. It might take a while. I would say, go to God and say, here's my ugly bitterness, and I'm still mad about it. Be honest, but let him have it. It all starts with being honest. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you so much. And and Lord, every single one of us has been hurt at some time by somebody. And and I know, Lord, that there are some of us in this room that we've just been hanging on to bitterness. We've been nursing it, Lord. We've been feeding it. We've been letting it grow. And Lord, in some ways, we just love it. Oh, we love it. All the while, it is something that is killing us on the inside. Lord, it's keeping us from growing spiritually. It's keeping us from being close to you. It's keeping us from being forward-looking about our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just shine your light on it and you would show it for the, the nasty growth of harm and illness that it is, Lord. That we would let you uproot it out of us and do whatever it takes, Lord, to get it out. And change us, Lord. Don't let us stand near you and just refuse to be moved by you, Lord. Change us and don't stop. Do whatever you need to do, Lord, so that we would look like you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.